the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Bear Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. I guess this hour is the... Um, Let's see, let me get, let me make sure I get this right. Senior pastor of Weston Park Baptist Church and Inner City Church in Toronto and author of a new book called Walking the Line, Embracing the Imperatives of Jesus. His name is Alan Davey. He joins me by phone. Hi, Alan. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Alan, you know, I was thinking about this uh, before you, uh, before we connected in, um, it, it occurs to me, and this is something I've said for years, that there are two documents uh, in history that have been more misinterpreted than any others, and that that was uh, the U.S. Constitution and the Holy Bible. Right. Um, and, and and what about that? When you when you write a book like this. Um, and 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 again, the title is "Walking the Line: Embracing the Imperatives of Jesus." What are those imperatives, and and how is it that people who claim to be followers of Christ and Christianity um, seem to get it so wrong so much? Yeah, well, that's a that's a great question and a great observation, Tom. Um, yeah, you know, we fall into a legalistic spirit so quickly. Um, and, and I'm not trying to put spirit. you on the spot, Alan. Yeah. It's just that, you know, it, it, it just seems that people are so divided and so hateful these days. Right. And so many of them are claiming right. to be, you know, um, well, just frankly, Christians. <laughs> Well, I hear you, man. I hear you. You know, like, it's interesting, eh? One of Jesus' uh, greatest commands, and we look at it in the book, is to love our enemies. Um, and in ourselves, that's very difficult, but... Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem Jesus, like we're doing so good with that one. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you know, uh, Jesus picks them, right? And... Um, but I think it's the way, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, ultimately, all of the great faith traditions talk about the power of love and talk about, you know, compassionate love. And Jesus, when he says, uh, I am the truth and the way, you know, that's often interpreted as kind of an exclusive statement, meaning I am the way and there's no other possible way. But I think what Jesus is really saying 
is that he's walking on the way, you know, and the way is the way of love, the way of compassionate love, and I want you to come and walk with me on this on this way. And I, I think um, too often we take his statements, yeah, and we make them too narrow or interpret them too literally uh, and make them into something that we're not. I mean, if we're not loving one another, no matter what faith tradition, who the other is, then, then we're missing the spirit of Jesus. When you, with this book and, and mm-hmm. with the work that you do at, uh, at Weston Park Baptist mm-hmm. Church, and I didn't mention the fact that you are also an adjunct uh, professor at Tyndale University right. and seminary, mm-hmm. but in, in the work that you do, do you think of it as getting the world to adopt this this idea of of love, or are you just trying to get as many people as you can on the boat? No, no, it's all about. Do you know what I mean? I, love, I, I, yeah, I asked that I a little you. clumsy, but um, no, no, no. Well, it's not about conversion. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the point. I mean. In our world today, we have, you know, a number of great faith traditions. And if we are just about trying to convert somebody from one faith tradition to another, I mean, we'll, we'll never get it loved because they'll never hear it, right? They see you as the enemy right away. So, for example, in Weston, I mean, Weston is an inner-city part of Toronto. It's lined with apartment buildings. So, you know, Toronto is a, is a great entry point to Canada for immigrants from all around the world and refugees. And they often end up on our road because of the cheaper rents in these apartment buildings. So, you know, those are the folks that are our neighbors, right? And, and most of them are Christians, right? But they're not Christians. They're from, I mean, Somalia is one of the biggest uh, groups in, in our area. And, you know, they come from a different group altogether, faith groups. So, there, we're not trying to convert by any means. We're just trying to receive them as neighbors and to, you know, show love. I mean, honestly, that's what it's about. And that may not transfer at all to people in the pews, you know. I mean, most likely not. In fact, it doesn't. And then we try to, you know, reach out in a holistic way in terms of a community center, in terms of, uh, you know, food banks and so on, just to, to help. So I think I think showing love, man, is what it's about. And if we're not doing that as Christians, then we're you know we're missing the imperatives of Jesus. We're not hearing. Um, how would you describe the imperatives of Jesus? How how are Christ's imperatives different than, say, for example, the Ten Commandments? Well, you know, Jesus' basis is uh, his approach on, obviously, the Old Testament scriptures, right? The New Testament scriptures aren't there yet. Um, the Old Testament is what he knows. So the the imperatives of the Ten Commandments continue to be, you know, fundamental, whether it's, you know, Old Testament or New Testament. So... You know, I mean, what the book is trying to get at, I think, in many ways, is uh, the power of words, you know what I mean? The power of language. So Jesus is recognized in our world as a great teacher. Every, every, every faith tradition recognizes Jesus at least as a great teacher. And so if he's talking to his disciples in the Gospels and he 
wants them to come into the school of Christ, if you like, you know, the seminary of Christ, that when he gives a command as a teacher, he gives an imperative, the ears of the students perk up, just like we would in school, where the teacher says something powerful than and, and what they want us to do, then we'll, we'll hear it, right? So the book looks at a variety of imperatives of Christ with the idea that if he's saying them and speaking them to us, then they must have uh, import for our lives. And so we hear them and receive them and, and then try to embrace them. That's kind of a beginning point. How do people who have lost their way find it again? Well, you know, sometimes we need to, um, you know, lose our way in the sense of coming to, oh, one might say an end of themselves or, you know, or we get caught up, you know. I mean, we get lost in our ways in a, in a bunch of ways, right? Um, so often... It can be, you know, something really tragic has happened, or it can be simply that we're lost in our own distraction, you know, in our own worries, in our own stress, our own anxieties. We spend a lot of time rolling around in the past and rolling around in the future, you know, and I think we worry about things in the past and whether they'll come back and haunt us. We worry about things in the future. So we never stay in the present. So I, I think we often get lost by not zoning in where we are. That's one way. If, if we get lost because of suffering and pain, then, um, then that can also be an opportunity for us to call out to, to God uh, and ask for his strength, you know. So I, I, I want to answer your question, so i just start with those and see what you think. Well, I know, like, like for example, when people are dealing with um, substance uh, addictions, sure. um, there's there's this feeling that um, you won't reach out for help, you won't try to change until you've hit rock bottom. Is it is it like that with spirituality when when people? Um, get so far away from love and, and so caught up in hatred and, and jealousy and bigotry and all of these negative things that attract people, um, do they have to crash into a brick wall before they, before they reach out? Or uh, can, can an Alan Davey... Um, you know, write a book, or mm-hmm. you know, so, or or someone else, you know, right. come up to them and and show them a different way. You know, is is that what needs to happen? How does how does that corner get turned? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think faith is a mystery, right? I mean, there is always a mysterious element because we're talking about something that deals with intangibles and and really uh, invisible and uh, speaking to our interior person rather than the external. I mean, one of the issues is we just live so much in the external, we give no time to even reflect on our interior person and so on. I think with, uh, you know, issues of addiction, 
I mean, another way, we have another book called Climbing the Spiritual Mountain, which deals with the questions of Jesus. So whenever we hear a command or a question in the scriptures, we're invited to really pause and to listen and think about that. So when Jesus comes to the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda, um, and he asks this man who has been ill and, and lame for his whole life, he, but he begins with asking, do you want to be made well? Before he heals him, before he does anything, he asks this guy who's been lame for 30 years, do you want to be made well? He doesn't assume it. He asks respectfully. And so I, I think for all of us, you know, whatever addictions we have that we're dealing with, do we really want to be made well? Because often we don't, right? One level we do, and another level we want to hang in there because we get something out of it. It feels kind of good. It, so there is that, you know. Yeah, is, is, there, is there a eureka moment in, in uh, trying to get back on a path towards spirituality the way there seems to be in finding the way out of addiction, for example? Well, you know, I think when the scriptures talk about conversion, uh, often there is a, a, con a moment of conversion which seems very powerful and is powerful and is a life um, turning moment. You know, it's, it's what is really fundamental to my life. Uh, so there is a moment. But then conversion is not just that moment, it's, it's an ongoing experience. And I think this is one of the big problems, because as Christians, we can point back, let's just say, oh, I became a Christian 20 years ago in my church, I was a, a little guy, I decided to get baptized, you know, and, and that's when it started. But, con but conversion is, is lifelong. And if we don't keep being open to God and to the Spirit, that's when we, we sort of become stagnant. And we just kind of level off, and, and, and what was rich in our past is not rich in the moment. And often it's because we're distracted by whatever else is going on, by our success, by wanting to get money, what my bank account's like, how I'm keeping up with my neighbors, and we don't keep developing the interior reality. So I think there is often a moment, but the moment has to be supported by an ongoing uh, openness, receptivity to what life's offering and what God is offering. I would say that. Alan, I have to uh, I have to take a break here, but I want to sure. talk about this some more. Can you stick around for a few minutes and Yeah, I'd be happy to, Tom. Thanks for having me on. All right. Alan Davy is my guest. He is the uh, senior pastor of Weston Park Baptist Church and Inner City Church in Toronto. He's also an adjunct professor of Christian spirituality and worship at Tyndale Con uh, University and Seminary. And uh, he's written several books, including uh, his, his newest book, which is... Um, Walking the Line, Embracing the Imperatives of Jesus. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the uh, Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring at 92.1 LPFM. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more right after this.
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is uh, a uh, senior pastor of Weston Park Baptist Church in Toronto and the author of a new book called Walking the Line, Embracing the Imperatives of Jesus. His name is Alan Davey. Alan, Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, hey, man. Oh, interesting to hear, so thanks for having me, man. Um, when you talk, uh, and, and I was just reading a, a quote by you that says, the rule of Jesus articulated in Matthew's gospel is neither obscure nor archaic. And you also uh, you go on to say, uh, that Jesus's imperatives speak powerfully to the contemporary issues of our day and do so by illuminating a way of clarity, simplicity, and love. How does what Jesus said apply to what we see around us every day? Well, I think, you know, Jesus is, he's um, obviously in tune with, um, you know, we would say the Father with God. And he sees into our own lives the people that he deals with. So he he understands the issues that people are dealing with. So when he highlights concerns like, uh, you know, he says, come to me, all you that are heavy laden, all of you that have burdens, and I'll give you rest. Well, he looks around, you know, and sees his disciples, and he knows that they've got lots of burdens, and uh, he starts dealing with them, you know, or he says, for example, uh, do not be anxious about tomorrow, you know, sufficient is the day, so do not be anxious. Well, again, we, you know, we live as a very anxious and stressed out society, so I think we're all looking. We're, you know, we're looking for things that will deal with those kinds of issues. The, the issues really haven't changed, right? We're, we're stressed out, we're anxious, we, we don't like other people, we don't trust other people, uh, we only protect our own, uh, you know, we're concerned about our family, or a few friends, no one else. So Jesus sees that reality. I don't think that's changed, you know, in 2,000 years, right? Our technology has changed, but the issues haven't changed at all. So I think he, he speaks and looks into our hearts where we're at. Um, and I think really, you know, that if we actually read the Gospels, actually read the words, the words will speak. It's, it's what we call sacramental, that God speaks in his words. So I, I think often we read everything else and we don't read, you know, we don't really know what Jesus is saying because we haven't read it. We haven't read the Gospels, you know what I mean? So it's, uh, I think if we do, they'll, they'll speak through our hearts. Is writing a book like this a way of um, pulling important elements out of the Bible and getting people to read them? Oh, I think so. I think so. You know, we're trying to highlight. So, again, we've, you know, in this book we're highlighting the commands. So pause. When you hear an imperative, pause. So I'm talking to, you know, let's say the Christian community out there might be listening one, read the scriptures. Don't just read everything else. Don't just read books like this one. Read the scriptures. And when you hear something important, stop and pause and let it speak into your life. Imperatives or questions, receive them. 
um, and then and then you know be open to it. I mean, be receptive. That's that's the thing. Uh, speaks of another issue. You know, there there in the in the Middle Ages there was this, the the uh, virtue of what's known as docility, the virtue of docility, and this was monks living in a community. And the encouragement was to respect the other person, and particularly respect the other person who has different views than yourself. And that was highly valued in a community, docility. And I think within the Christian church, where we're so often yelling at one another and, and critiquing and judging one another, there's a great need for docility in our, in our modern church, modern communities. Was it ever there? Well, <laughs> well, you know, I think, I think, I, you know, I think it's a personal thing, right? I mean, Gandhi, when he, you know, uh, what did Gandhi do, for example? So he's not a Christian, right? But he, he definitely showed love and compassionate love. So whenever he went to a new community, he went to you know the places and washed the toilets because he wanted to identify with the, the lowest caste in their system. So wherever he went, or if you wanted to come and meet him, he would meet you in, in one of the poorest areas because then you had to go <laughs> to the poor area to meet with him, and people would do it. So are, is there you know other examples of docility? I would say yes. You know they may be rare, but I think I think in every church, in every community. You know, on every radio station, you probably got people who are who value docility, and you got others who are always wanting to be right. I had a friend of mine um, in in Los Angeles that passed away a couple of years ago, who asked me once many years ago, uh, "Would you rather be right or effective?" Right. There you go. And and I wrestle <laughs> and I, and I wrestle with that a lot. Okay. Um, but. Um, there are a lot of people who are waiting for the return of Christ. Right. And if he were to return, would people believe it? Well, you know what? I think I think there would be a lot of cynicism about the whole thing, you know. And and it's interesting even as Christians, you know, we we want to know him, but we also resist him. There's always that tension, always that paradigm. I, I want to know God more, but there's part of me that resists him, right, that wants to do my own thing. I want to do my own way. I, I, you know, I want <laughs> my way, not your way. And we hope that he's not watching. Yeah, right, exactly, you know, exactly, exactly. So I think there's always that tension, and it's part of, you know, man, we're, you know, we come from animals, right? We're, we have this animalistic spirit that we still carry, that uh, takes a long time for that to all be converted and to be made new. You know, we we have this false self that just keeps rearing up. You know, I want to be known. I want to be successful. I want money, and 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 that's not Jesus is coming to speak to the true self, the false self. Man, we got to blow it away. If and when Christ returns, would his message be any different than it was two thousand years ago? No, I think it's the same, man. It's it's the it's the message of love. You know what I mean? It's uh, who was it? John of the Cross uh, used to say, "Where there is no love, put love, and you will find love." And Dorothy Day, you know, who worked in the inner city in New York, uh, would say, would quote him, "Where there is no love, put love, 
and you will find love. And I, and I and I think that's it. You know, I mean, with our enemies, where there is no love, put love, and you will find love. You know, the big discussions going on right now with Russia and the U.S. You know, like if <laughs> what's needed there is respect and love. A whole lot, you know, if things are going to be ironed out. But, you know, as a world system, we 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 just kind of circle the ranks and do the opposite. So I think Jesus would come and would still speak about love and loving your enemies, for sure. And and it would, and I fear it would fall on mostly deaf ears. Yeah, I think so, you know, um... Yeah, you know, we we have our blind spots and we and we get we get, you know, we just get entrenched, you know. We get locked in. Uh we get stuck. We get stuck. And I and I think the, you know, one way of looking at that is to to get unstuck, we have to one know that we're stuck, you know what I mean? So we have to know we're stuck if we're going to want to get moving. And somewhere in our lives, I think we start realizing we're stuck and we want to go forward. And and it can take a long time for that to happen, for us to realize that. And I think it's the same in any tradition, you know. It's not just Christianity. It's um, We get stuck where, in whatever group we're in, and we got to get unstuck. God wants us to fully become ourselves, you know what I mean? To be the best you, be the best me. And, and to get that, we have to move beyond our just our basic likes and dislikes and comfort and convenience. Alan, when you were writing this book, Walking the Line, Embracing mm-hmm. the Imperatives of Jesus, or your previous books, mm-hmm. um, was there someone in mind you were writing to? Well, you know, a lot of my books come out of my teaching. So, uh, you know, I'm often well. I'm, I'm well. I'm thinking of two groups really. I'm thinking of my church community, which is a very mixed, multicultural, multi-aged, um, multi-experienced in terms of their faith. So, I'm speaking. To, I'm thinking of them, and then I'm I'm thinking a lot of my students. So, a lot of my work has been done in undergraduate. Uh, courses, so they're you know they're young students, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, by and large, and um, you know I want to try to help them get a sense of faith in a in an enlivening way, in a creative way, an energetic way. You know, Erickson used to talk about not being stagnative but being generative, right? So in a, in a way that is generating good things so my books have kind of come out of my experience a lot with students and what issues they're dealing with another one we have is called Abba's Whisper and it it deals with how do we listen for God's voice you know how do we hear God's voice in a really talkative world and how how do we hear his voice so I think that's an issue we all deal with the church that you um, are the senior pastor of in Toronto, you, mm-hmm. you described it as being in in the inner city and, and there mm-hmm. being this um, diverse neighborhood. Right. Did you 
Did you go there by dis by design or by assign? Um. Well, you know, I had been. I was at another church for about twelve years, uh, which was more of a suburban church. It was young, pretty much white, and that's who we were. And then when I I felt I needed to move on from there. And so this opportunity came up, and, and, and what I liked about it was that it was a city church, and it was, it was not suburban, you know what I mean? Like it was the other end of suburban. So we were, it was a place with, with needs, big needs, uh, not a lot of money, um, and I thought there would be a good learning experience for me, and then also an opportunity to, to hopefully make a bit of a difference in, in such an area. So, you know, that when, how do we make life changes? You know what I mean? I mean, one, I was available. Two, the opportunity came. And three, it sort of fit with what I wanted to explore, you know. Um, so then you jump in. And, 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 and it wasn't easy. For the first five years, it was pretty hard because it was about making changes. And, of course, we don't like to make changes. And, Faith communities don't like to make changes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so. they're maybe even a little more resistant than most. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it came to a point where we had to decide whether we're in or we're out, you know what I mean? Everybody. Um, but we chose to stay in, and and then, you know, some things, some good things have happened, you know, and are continuing to happen. It's just, you know, in subtle ways, and... I love being with people who are from all over the world. You know what I mean? Like, I have a lot of island people, and I like to dive. Scuba diving is one of my interests, and I tell stories in the book about that. But, I mean, they're always interested when I go south, and a lot of them are from Jamaica, and they want to talk about it. You know what I mean? And I, I really enjoy all of that kind of interactions. Yeah. And, and you have, um, I, I was reading here a little bit of, biographical stuff mm -hmm. um, in addition to your uh, penchant for scuba diving. You're also a hiker, a singer, a guitarist, and an art lover. Um, a lot of those interests, the singer, guitarist, art lover, etc., that, that tends to revolve around... Um, well, quite frankly, expressions of love. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's an accident. Yeah. Um, you know, creativity is, is huge, eh? I mean, God creates the world, we believe. Every, every faith group believes that. God created the world. It's such an amazing world, right? We have this web telescope going out there. I mean, what are we going to learn from that? You know, uh, amazing exploration of the skies and i think you know in terms of a spiritual discipline that we can all embrace everybody is gratitude to be grateful to be grateful for whatever you can you know somebody spoke to me once and said in any given week you know 10 things will be happy and uh, or good i mean sorry 10 things will happen seven will be good and three won't be so good and we often kind of focus on the three that aren't so good you know what i mean even though seven were great so can we learn to be grateful? And, and I think I say that because I think the arts uh, 
invite us to be grateful. A beautiful painting, right? Uh, we just had a show in Toronto on the blue period of Picasso. And so that's when he was young, you know, in his early 20s. He's painting these amazing paintings and before they're super abstract and, and, and they're they're beautiful and I think it invites us to be grateful. I mean, Karl Barth, the great theologian, listened to Mozart every day because it made him feel energized to go out and do his work, you know. Um, so gratitude is, is huge. I, I would encourage all of our listeners, you know, can we learn to be grateful? And that means being mindful of the day, right? Being mindful, not rolling around in the past, not rolling around in the future, but today, how can I be mindful and, and grateful? I was checking out your show, man, before I came on, and, and, I, and some of the pieces of music that you use to set it up, I, I, I think are just amazing. And I was thinking like, wow, that's that's a, a good catchy <laughs> entrance to your show. Um, so music can be beautiful and i think we but we have to learn how to be grateful for that well i i as you were talking um alan and and you were paraphrasing that you know uh, on any given day 10 things might happen seven might be great and three not so great the first thing that crossed my mind was i'd be grateful that the great things outweighed the not so great things (laughs) <laughs> exactly exactly that yeah. there was more good than bad i, I yeah. i'm not sure that that days go like that often enough yeah <laughs> well you know but they might go better like that if we if we could learn to see what what's actually happening and be grateful for them right i mean there's a story in the gospels where jesus heals 10 lepers right and then they all go off and one of them decides, oh, man, I should go back and thank Jesus. I mean, this is amazing. I've, I've been healed. Look at this. And he goes back. So well, one out of ten go back. And then Jesus actually says to him, like, didn't I heal ten of you guys? Like, where's the rest? Uh, and not because he wanted to be thanked, but, but because it's important to recognize good things and, and to finish the circle, you know what I mean, by saying thanks. So... We're often like that, you know. 10% of the time we say thanks, and 90% of the times we just kind of go do our own thing, you know. So gratitude is huge, yeah. Do you, are you able to get much feedback from the books you publish? Well, you know, I don't know, man. I don't don't know how much feedback you get on your shows, right? But often you do something. It's like a sermon. You give a sermon, and you know, you know, I don't get a lot of ton of feedback, right? You gotta, you gotta be energized. You get some, you know. You get notes. Uh, Thank you for this or that, or I miss you. I appreciate what you've been saying. So you gotta find your energy, and you know, in your in your heart and your own dynamic with God, because you're not really gonna get a ton elsewhere. So. So I don't mean to be negative there, but I think it's just, you know, everybody's distracted. We Everybody live in their own lives. And, well, I talk, to a lot of, time. I, I talk to a lot of writers, and mm. one of the things that I, I'm always um, curious about, because writing is often kind of a solitary thing, how, yeah. they, how they enjoy the, the book-selling part of it, you know, the 
interacting yeah. with people, doing readings and book signings and that sort of thing. Of course, these are usually pop culture uh, uh, musings, you know, that right. that I'm I'm talking about. Does subject make a difference as to whether people will uh, will give you feedback? I, I remember uh, George Burns in the movie. Oh, God, was uh, quoting someone who said, um, God is a comedian whose audience is afraid to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Well, you know what? There you go, man. There you go. You know, um, you. I think yeah, for, for anybody, you know what I mean? You doing your show for many years. You know, you got to find the energy within yourself to do that, I think you know, get some sort of circle who are supportive. You know, my family is supportive. I have close friends. But, you know, we live in a world which is very competitive, right? And everybody's always comparing. And um, and it's, you know, you got to stay centered, I think. And for everybody I'm talking, not just for writers, but you got to stay centered in who you are and what you want and what fuels your life, you know, what funds your life. I ask my students that. What's, what really funds your life? Um, what, what's going to energize you when you leave with your BA? Um, you gotta, you gotta tap into that. And often it's really one of the reasons why I dive so much. I scuba dive because it was a way to get out of my head and to get into something different, right? And water is very different. It's a different reality. So hiking is the same and, um, you know, it's well, a Alan challenge for people. I always give guests, we're, we're almost out of time, and I always give sure. guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, you know, obviously the book is a great place to start, but uh, do you have a website? Yeah, you can go to, or, or the listener can go to daveybooks.com, uh, just D-A-V-E-Y books.com, and... Um, uh, you know, you can see my wife also is a, is a writer, and we've done some work together. Um, so, different, you know, they're all there, and it tells a bit about us and our interests and sort of what we've done. So, sir, sure, that would be great, you know. Uh, check that out, debutbooks.com. Well, Alan, um, thanks so much for spending this time and, and your thoughts with me and the listeners this morning, and uh, keep up the good work. Yeah, well, thanks, Tom, and look, thanks for having me on, and uh, your, your show is great. What I've what I've heard is wonderful. So you're doing good work, man. <laughs> no. Keep it up. Thank you for saying that. I hey, appreciate it. We'll talk maybe again. Cheers. All right, take care. Bye bye. That was uh, Alan Davy. He is um, the senior pastor of Weston Park Baptist Church in Toronto and uh, adjunct professor of Christian spirituality and worship at Tyndale University and Seminary. He uh, is the co-author of Climbing the Spiritual Mountain. He is the uh, author of a new book called Walking the Line, Embracing the Imperatives of Jesus. And uh, we're going to take a short break. Let our broadcast partners at 92.1 LPFM, our voices radio, WFOV in Flint, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. Uh, they are broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. 
If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, so don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse, we'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, My Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take writing lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the deaf. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How does Ellen Sherman do it all? She's smart. She takes speed. The tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need. And then I collect these paper bags. 
And I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have Yes, one. Speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way. I Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And, and when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor. And your mother's doctor. And your college roommate's doctor. And your best friend from high school's doctor. And your babysitter's doctor. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I would like to take you to the opera where you are going to hear a Mozart opera, which is nothing but an opera written by Mozart. <laughs> this is an opera in one act, and it begins when the curtain rises, otherwise you couldn't see a thing. The stage setting is a kind of a forest. There are two large trees, which of course indicates the forest. It's a kind of a small forest, but it's a forest. <laughs> First, the tenor comes in. He is supposed to meet his soprano, as they usually call those ladies. But she's a little late this particular season, so he hides himself behind one of the trees in order to surprise her when she comes in a little later, which she does. When she arrived, she can't find him because he is occupied behind one of the trees. Uh, he's with a knife carving her name into the scenery. Now, she doesn't know that he is there, but, uh, well, as a matter of fact, she must know it because she saw it during rehearsals. Either she pretends that she doesn't know it, or she's just plain stupid. <laughs> or whatever it is, she gets across the stage somehow and takes place behind the other tree, which, for the occasion, hides her. <laughs> to a certain extent. Now, the chorus comes in, but nobody knows why, except Mozart, and he is dead. <laughs> and that's just too bad. Next, her father comes in, and he is a very old man, primarily because she is a very old soprano. <laughs> and he is very angry because apparently she is not his daughter. Now, this has nothing to do with the opera. I found that out myself. <laughs> and that's what we call research. <laughs> anyway, he decides that he has had enough of her, so he tells her to die, and that's exactly what she's going to do. <laughs> and with that, the opera ends, and people can go home. Now I take you to the opera house where you hear the conductor's footsteps when he enters the orchestra pit. Here he comes. Yeah, he walks sideways. <laughs> and this is the overture. <laughs> 
This, ladies and gentlemen, was the first part of the overture. Now you hear the second part, and that's exactly the same. Now this little bloop is an extra bloop. We have in case we shoot one shot of bloops. But that has never happened, so we have a lot of bloops left over. Now the curtain rises and the tenor arrives. And he's a little tall fellow, he comes in. <laughs> he comes in from the left in a single file. He goes behind the tree right away. <laughs> now the leading lady arrives. She is supposed to fill the part of the soprano. Now she not only fills it, she overflows it a little bit. <laughs> She's a big husk, a big, uh, um, she's a big soprano, that's what she is. She's what we call a messy soprano. She comes in in a single pile. She also arrives backwards, but nobody notices the difference. She goes behind the other tree. She can hardly wait because... Uh, see, she is... She supposedly hasn't... She hasn't met him for a long time, so she is just... She's anxious. Now is the time for the chorus. The light is dimmed, so you can hardly see these people when they arrive, and that's why they're dressed in a kind of cheap underwear. Because there is no reason to spend a lot of money for costumes when you can't see them. Right? And that's the way the management of this theater feels about it, and that's the way it's gonna be. Here they come. Bread and butter. Now they're all in and they fool around in the dark for a little while. This is a mixed chorus. Bread and butter. Now they're out, they get the money and go home. Next, a baritone comes in and sings, Torre ador, Torre ador. But he finds out that he's in the wrong opera. Now, the father comes in, the old man, and he is the basso.
almost now told her what he had to say and she understands him quite well so now she prepares herself to die but before she dies she sings an aria the so-called die aria <laughs> She seems very happy about it. She dies by stabbing herself between the two big trees. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Smoke and George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with Armchair Politics and another full edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to all my guests today uh, author and uh, senior pastor uh, Alan Davey. And uh, before that, of course, we talked with uh, Amy Herman talking about her book, Fixed. And we started out this morning with. Uh, Chief of Geriatrics from Northwestern um, Medicine, Lee Lindquist. Is a live Good night, show. everybody. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.